Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. One of our goals here at CCGF is to help you take your next step toward Jesus and the person God designed you to be. We hope our sermons help you to take that next step. If you would like more information about the community here at Christ Church at Grove Farm, or if you would like to contact us, you can do all of that and more on our website, which is ccgf.org. And to get an even further taste of who we are, You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Now, here is this week's message, Grace and Peace to you. Well, today we're going to be talking about the dawning of a new mission. And the passage is found in John chapter 4, verses 42 through 47. And we're going to be talking about the woman at the well. And this is a woman who had a few, if any, people who wanted to associate with her. And the reason was, is because she was seen by the community as an outcast, as an undesirable. Let's have a word of prayer together. Father, I want to thank you and praise you for who you are, and I would ask you to forgive me and cleanse me of any sin, and I would ask right now that you would fill me with your spirit, and you would speak through me to your people, and we as your people would not just be hearers of the word, but we would be doers of it. And you wouldn't just stir us, but that you would change us. For Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen and amen. When I was growing up in elementary school, there was a game that we played, and the game was called, Who's Got the Cooties? Who Got the Cooties? And if you got the cooties, it was like you had leprosy. I mean, nobody wanted to be around you. And how the game was played is somebody was always chosen to have the cooties, and then everybody would run away from them. And how you kept from getting the cooties when they came around to try to touch you is you had to cross your fingers. Let's all cross our fingers like this. So you don't get the cooties, right? But when you uncross those fingers and they came up alongside of you and snuck up on you and touched you, then the cooties were passed on to you and you were it. Well, we played this game all the way through elementary school, even into fourth grade. But when it got to fourth grade, it became a very cruel and hurtful game. Let me explain. There was a young girl in our class in fourth, in fourth grade, and her name was Mary Lou. And Mary Lou, every day, she would always look disheveled. Her clothes were always wrinkled. Her hair was always dirty and matted down. And she smelled. I mean, she did. She reeked. And every school day, my classmates would choose her to have the cooties. And everybody would run from her. But they weren't really playing the game. They really just didn't want to associate with Mary Lou. I'll never forget, we were all standing in lunch line, and Mary Lou was standing there all by herself. And in front of her and the back of her, there was at least four to five body lengths. So everybody's in front and the back, and there she stood all alone. Finally, I had enough, and I left the lunch line. I went over and I touched her, and I said to everybody out loud, I've got the cooties. And I did that in hopes that they would stop rejecting her. Didn't work. A couple months later, the teacher walked into our class and announced that Mary Lou had died. Then she began to tell us her story. And she told us that her story went like this. Her mom and dad had lost everything and they were living in a car. Her and her parents for three years living in a car. And then she said, that's why she always looked disheveled. And then one of my classmates said, 
Teacher, how did Mary Lou die? She explained to us that she had an appendicitis. She explained that, that it burst and it took her life. And then finally she looked at us and she said, the one thing I'm really disappointed in is that most of you were unwilling to reach out to her, to be her friend, or to ever help her. And when she said that, you could hear a pin drop in the room. Later that day, we all went to gym class, and all the guys were in the locker room, and the guys were standing around, and they were saying, man, we really feel bad about Mary Lou. And then they got up and started talking about how she was a great girl, and that's when I stood up. And I said, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Not one of you were willing to stand up for her, and all of us made fun of her. And now that she dies, you're going to stand around and talk about how she's a great person? If you really mean that, then come to the funeral home with me. Tonight's her funeral. You come and put your money or put your words into action. Well, after that, the night came and I showed up at the funeral home and there was the 10 guys standing there when I said that and four of them showed up. So there was five of us and we went into the funeral home and there we went through the entire funeral service and I was amazed. There was five of us and her mom and dad. That was it. That's all that showed up. If we didn't show up, it would have just been her mom and dad. And what happened in that moment, in that moment, I chose from that moment on to be a champion for those who didn't have a champion. From that moment on, I became a champion for those who were the underdog. I desired in my heart to be the one who would have a voice for those who don't have a voice. You know, I've told you that I've come to know Jesus Christ as my Savior when I was 22 years old. So back in fourth grade, I didn't know the Lord. But after coming to know Christ, I realized it was the Lord who put that desire in my heart. You see, he was working in my life just like he's working in your life before you came to know him. And once I came to know Jesus Christ, I realized that that's what he did for me and that he, he gave me a desire to help those who are oppressed and those who are being taken advantage of. Matter of fact, Jesus has made it possible for anyone to be saved. He desires that no one would perish, that everyone would come to know Jesus Christ. And what happened after I came to know Christ and I began to study God's word, I'll never forget the first time I ever read these verses. This verse that's found in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, when Jesus said this. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. When I read that, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a champion for the gospel. I wanted to make sure that, I, that everyone got the opportunity that was around me to, to know that, how they could find Jesus Christ as their Savior like I did. But I also had a deep, deep desire to make sure that the oppressed, those who were being taken advantage of, had the opportunity as well. You know, I thank God that he's given me the privilege to preach the gospel. And back when I was in fourth grade, he was preparing me for what I do right now. And I thank God that we together at Urban Impact in Christ Church, that we've locked arm and God, God has given us the privilege 
and the honor and the responsibility of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ in this generation for such a time as this. He's put us together to do that, and we have that privilege. We have that honor to preach the gospel so that people's lives can be changed. Amen? Amen. Today we're going to be talking about the fact that Jesus Christ was a champion for a woman who had no champion. And what, are we, what we're referring to is the woman at the well. Many of you know the story, but some of you might not. So let me tell you the story leading up to our passage this morning. Jesus is traveling with the disciples, and they've traveled from Judea, and they're heading back to Galilee. In order to get to Galilee, they have to travel through Samaria, and they come to a town in Samaria called Siskar. And Jesus sits down because she, he's tired, and he sits down at a well. And the Bible says it's about 12 o'clock noon, so the disciples go back to the little town to get lunch. And we pick up the story in verse 7, and it says this. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. You stop right there and tell you what Jesus knew and what the woman at the well knew what they understood. In that day, the etiquette of the day was absolutely did not approve of. It was forbidden for a man to speak to a woman in public, particularly if her husband or her father was not present. So what Jesus was doing by society standards was not acceptable. Second is that she was a Samaritan and he was Jewish. And the Samaritans and the Jewish people did not associate. They did not talk. They hated one another. So what this woman is saying to Jesus is this. Why are you talking to me? Not only am I a woman, but I'm a Samaritan. And by the way, you Jews see us Samaritans like we have the cooties. The cooties. And Jesus responds. He responds in verse 10. He says, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And then Jesus got real personal. In verse 16, he told her, go call your husband and then come back. And he, she said, I don't have a husband. And he said, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you have five husbands, and the man you are now with has, is not your husband. What Jesus is doing here is he's prophetically speaking to her. He's telling her that he knows everything about her. Everything about her. That he knew why the Jews wouldn't associate with her, and he also knew why her own people wouldn't associate with her because they saw her as the town's bad girl, the local bad girl, that she was, had five husbands and now she's sleeping with the six without being married. And that's why she came out at noon to fetch water for her family. You see, the, the nice girls, they showed up early in the morning at the cool of the night to fetch water for their family. But she's coming out in the heat of the day. Why? Because she does not want to face the women in the town, because she didn't want to be reminded of how she was an outcast, an undesirable, the one that they did not want to associate with, the one who had the cooties. Jesus totally understood this. 
and he knew what was happening. But I got to ask you this question. She knew too. She knew that he knew that she was the bad girl. But why did, she, why did Jesus talk about her husband's and the guy she was shacking up with. Why did, why did he do that? Was he putting it in her face? No. Why he asked that question, what he was trying to do, is to get her to articulate, to identify her plan to quench her thirst. Remember, Jesus was offering living water to her, eternal life, salvation. You see, the woman's plan was this. It was very simple. If I find the right guy, the right man, then I'm going to be satisfied. What Jesus was saying, Madam, let me ask you, how's your plan working? Are you tired yet? Because if a man could satisfy you, if a man could quench that thirst, it would have been quenched. And then Jesus is standing there and saying, the one you really are looking, one, looking for, the one you really need is me. I have all that you need. And then he reads, and then he says, verse 13 and 14 to her. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. But the pain was so great in her life that she stepped back from that offer and she threw up a smoke screen. And she began to ask Jesus about a historical debate that had been going on for years, a debate between the Jews and the Samaritans and how they were to worship their God. And Jesus had that debate. And then she finally says in verse 25 and 26, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. She realizes, she realizes that Jesus is the Messiah. And she begins to understand for the very first time in her life, that she had been embracing a lie. She embraced the lie that she thought that all the people and God did not want to associate with her because of her sin. And because of her sin, she thought she could never have this relationship. And now she's standing in front of the Messiah. And the Messiah knows everything about her. And she realizes very clearly that, that she can be forgiven, that he's offering her living water, eternal water. And what's going on here is that she, lear she learns this, she understands for the first time in her life that she's met somebody that was willing to love her in spite of her, that she was able to experience forgiveness and salvation in that moment. She, she, she dropped her jars of, of water and she went back to the, to the town and she began to share the good news that she has heard and she has realized. And then what happens? Verse 27, just then his, his disciples returned and were su surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking to her? See, the disciples came back with lunch from the town. And they see Jesus talking, first of all, just to a woman. And that wasn't good. But second, a Samaritan woman, they were appalled by this. But they didn't have the guts to confront him. So they said, hey, we got lunch, it's time to eat. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said in verse 34, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. The disciples were concerned about food, but what was the woman doing at that time? Where was she at? Look at verse 28. 
Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told everything, told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards Jesus. Listen, the disciples went to the town and they bring back lunch. The woman goes back to the town and she brings back the town. She leads the town out to meet Jesus. Who's really on the mission here? Who's really doing the mission? And then look at verse 35 and what Jesus says. Look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Folks, he was not looking at cornfields. He was looking at the people coming out of that town. And what he was saying to his disciples was this. You see those Samaritans coming out to me? They're my food. They're the work. They're the harvest. They are why I came. I just didn't come to the Jews. I've come for everyone so that I, I desire that everyone would not perish, that everyone would come to saving faith in me. He was casting vision to those, to those disciples. But what's amazing to me is this, that those disciples who had the opportunity to be with Jesus every week, had the opportunity to know him up close and personal, had that tremendous opportunity that they went to the village, they went to the town, and they come back with lunch. Why? Because they despised those people. They had no desire for those people to come to know Jesus Christ. They didn't even believe that they were part of the mission. But the woman, the woman at the well, who was despised by her town, who saw her as an undesirable, rejected her in most cases, when she comes to know Jesus Christ, what does she do? She goes back into the town, and what does she do? She leads the town to Jesus Christ. Why? Because that woman understood what it was like to be on the outside. She understood what it meant to have hate and anger, and she wanted to let go of it. She didn't want it anymore because she found somebody that loved her in spite of her. She found somebody that was willing to love her and forgive her, and she wanted everyone, everyone to know what she knew. Look right here at Christ Church. I thank God for each and every one of you, for you've locked arms with me. You've locked arms with my family. You've locked arms with Urban Impact. And you haven't gone down to the city of Pittsburgh to get lunch. We're leading people leading people to Jesus Christ by the thousands. We've hooked up so that we can make a difference for Jesus Christ. I thank God for that. I thank God that we've given, given that privilege and that honor and that responsibility to make sure that we're preaching and communicating the gospel in this generation to all people, to anyone, even those who are oppressed and those who have been taken advantage of. Amen? You know, when I think back over the years, and I think of just this past year of how we've done ministry for now over 18 years. We've been ministering with one another. We've been serving with one another. We've been doing all kinds of different things to minister to people. But I thank God for this past year, we've ministered to over 2,370 kids. 2,370 kids have been touched because of the ministry. We've served over 42... Thank God. We've served over 42,000 meals to kids. And let me say this. People ask me all the time, how come you feed so many meals? Why do you do that? You, many of you know that Tammy and I have been serving on the north side for 33 years. 
And over those years, we brought in 35 kids into our home, and they've lived with us at certain times. And the only thing that was ever stolen out of my house during all those years was food. Food. And what Tammy and I learned very early in, in the ministry was people in the city are hungry. They're hungry. And I want to thank God for every one of you that ever made a meal, bought a meal, or served a meal to those kids and families on the north side of Pittsburgh. And I want to thank all of you that serve at the cafe. And when you serve at the cafe, you make it possible for us to buy food for our families. And every cent that you spend over there, all the proceeds go back to Urban Impact Foundation so that we can provide meals to those people who are hungry on the north side. That is on a mission. That's about being part of a mission. When all the water goes up, all the boats go up with it. And what's amazing is this, that not only are we feeding people physically, but we are feeding them spiritually. When you talk about 750 people just this past year came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. 750 people. Because of our partnership, most people would call that a revival. People are watching the news, looking at the news, and saying, oh, the whole world's going to hell in a handbasket. And I'm telling you, I've never seen the precedent that I'm seeing in the city, how people are so hungry for hearing about how they can be loved and forgiven, how they can know it, that they have eternal life. It's amazing to me. And you're part of that. As we lock arms and we get about his business, God is doing tremendous things. But you know, we've been working with those kids and discipling them, and we've been able to get 50 of them just this past year, within the last six months, get baptized. Hear me. When I think about the spiritual things that are going on and what we're doing physically to help those people, this is what I understand. We've given you this little handout, and I'm going to ask that you pull it out right now. And as you pull it out, it rips off. And you can write down, because I'm going to ask you to help us, because there's still great need. The vision for us at Urban Impact and for us as a church is to impact the north side of the city. Understand that the north side of the city, north side, is as big as Erie, Pennsylvania, land-wise, as big as Erie. Matter of fact, it used to be called Allegheny City. And the population's about the size of Butler, so there's a lot of people on the north side of the city. That's why you hear so much about it on the news. It's big. And we've impacted thousands, but there's still tens of thousands of people that we haven't touched. And one of the biggest needs we have is that we have a waiting list, a huge waiting list. We have hundreds of kids who cannot get into our program because we don't have volunteers and we don't have enough resources. Back in the day when Tammy, and it was just Tammy and I and a few volunteers, I would go into a gym and I would preach. And we'd keep the lid on the popcorn machine. There's about 40 kids in the room. And people would come to know Christ. And some of those kids would really stick and grow, but a lot of them would, would leave, and they'd go back out in the streets. Some of them would go back into crime, drugs, and some of them even died. And we learned very early that we, we cannot just preach the gospel. We have to have volunteers. We have to have people around these kids so that we can make disciples that make disciples, so that we can really transform people's lives. So what we, what we learned and what we've understood is that we need one Christian adult one trained Christian adult for every six kids. One trained Christian adult for every six kids. And because we've broken it down that way, we train and we do that in ministry, we've won two national awards for transforming lives in a community, from Chick-fil-A and from Epic. It works, folks. 
but you've got to have one to six. So I'm really encouraging you today. In order for us to get that list down to zero, in order for all the kids to be able to come into our program so we could share the gospel with them, we need volunteers. We need people like you. So I'm encouraging you to write out your name and address on that piece of paper. We'll follow you up, or you can go out into the foyer. Out there, there's a lot of our, our staff and tables set up. But on November 11th, you can look on your sheet, November 11th, on the north side over at Urban Impact Foundation, we're going to train you. We're going to equip you so that you are confident about making disciples that make disciples. Come join us. The second way that you can make an urban impact is by helping us with our missionary housing. On the north side, it is dramatically changing. On the north side, you, I used to be able to get a rental for about $300. Now it's over $1,200. On the north side, housing is skyrocketing, and the costs are skyrocketing. And I have 35 missionaries who have sacrificed, who have served, who have moved their families. They've gone on to the north side, and they're raising the support in order to can, to be faithful, to communicate and demonstrate the gospel, but the housing, the cost of rent and owning is skyrocketing. So you know what we did at Urban Impact? We went out and bought homes. We bought four and we renovated those homes and I have to buy eight more and renovate them. And some of you have already come down to help us, but I'm encouraging you today. If you have gifts or abilities or skills in any way in plumbing, in electric, carpentry, if you can find appliances, if you can help us figure out where to get furniture, whatever you want to do, come join us. Go out there, sign up, let us know on that paper, and we'll follow you up, and we'll provide housing so we can keep the leadership on the north side of Pittsburgh to communicate and demonstrate the gospel. Last but not least is this. Some of you are retired. Others of you are thinking about retiring. Don't retire. Rewire. Rewire. What do I mean by that? We are called a Christian Community Development Organization. You know what that means? We work with the entire community. We work with the business sections. We work with education. And what we have an infrastructure that's pretty huge. We have a big business department. And we need help with people like you. Some of you have been trained and gifted and, and by some of the best in the world. And I'm asking you to consider coming down and being part, part of our business department. We have a business management team. We have a development team. We have HR. Listen, if you have any gifts in finance, marketing, project management, event planning, development, buildings, technology, HR, come, let's build the kingdom together. Come, use your gifts and abilities. Let's transform the city of Pittsburgh. Let's get it done in our lifetime. Let's get it done so that we can transform people for Jesus Christ. Last but not least, every penny you spend at the cafe, every time you go out there, you're not only providing food for yourself, you're providing an opportunity for Urban Impact Foundation to provide physical and spiritual food for every child. We've been doing this for 18 years, everybody. Thousands of people are being touched. Be part of it. I thank God that you haven't gone to our city just to get lunch, but you've locked arms with us. And we're leading people to Jesus Christ. You know those kids you just heard sing? Some of those kids live in cars. They live in cars. And you and I are rescuing them. That's what we're doing. For the glory and for the honor of Jesus Christ. We're building the kingdom of God for such a time in this generation. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That some people in this room could become urban missionaries. 
Some of the young and men and women that are in this room, you could have put in their heart what you just put in my heart when I was in fourth grade, and they know it. And I would pray that if you're calling them, that they would come out. They'd have the boldness and the courage to come and talk to us. And then every volunteer and every person who prays and supports us financially and comes to serve, I thank you for each one. Keep them, bless them, provide for them, and may we continue to fulfill your mission in our lifetime. For Lord, we ask these things together in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you.